0: Welcome to Transformers, the podcast about how business people and policymakers are creating a sustainable future. I'm your host, Kai Embren. According to the UN, the global population is projected to reach 9 billion in 2050. Food production is one of the leading causes of climate change and creates between 25 to 30% of global greenhouse gas emissions every year. How can we feed the planet without costing the earth? In a series of six episodes sponsored by Tetra Pak, we will attempting to answer this question. Tetra Pak is a world leading food processing and packaging solutions company with a mission to accelerate decarbonisation and transform the world's food systems. In the six programs, we will talk to different stakeholders and explore how they are working to eliminate hunger and reduce the impacts of the food systems on the climate. In the program today, we will have a conversation based on the roadmap to net zero and which role measurement playing to reach the net zero targets. With me, I have Pankaj Bhatia, Deputy Director of World Resource Institute's climate program and Director of the Greenhouse Gas Protocol. And Gilles Tisserand, Vice President of Sustainability, Climate and Biodiversity in Tetra Pak. Welcome, Pankaj and Giles. Thank you.
1: Very nice to be here. <laughs> Thank you very much, Kai.
0: Thank you. Welcome, everybody. Let us start with Giles. Today, more than 30% of the world's largest companies have a net zero targets. What is Tetra Pak's commitment when we talk about the Net Zero Target 2030 and 2050? Thank you, Kaj. Um,
2: and actually, Tetra Pak has been one of the first um, company to set what we call SBTI Target, Science-Based Target um, Initiative. And we looked both at what we call short-term 2030 and the longer-term Net Zero Objective 2050. If I get into the details, um, we have... Um, a target for 2030, which is in alignment with the 1.5 degrees pathway. So in our in our case, we have to reduce our scope 1, 2, and 3 emissions uh, by 2030 versus 2019 by 46%. And when we look at 2050, we have a SBTI verified net zero target. In the details, we, uh, we plan to reduce our emissions by 90%. And we will have to compensate the rest. And when we look at the scope of Tetra Pak, which is a company known for its packaging business, but actually we have a footprint which is much bigger than that because we have thousands and thousands of machines um, that process food. We also service uh, the food customers, the food transformation customers. So we have a big footprint. And when we look at the the impact uh, of the food systems on the planet, it's one third of the emissions. We have an important role, and that's the reason why we have been historically ambitious both with our target and successful in decarbonizing our value chain. So, mm. um, so we see the target setting as a tool also to get our company excited and to get our value mm. chain excited.
0: And Pankas, uh, what can World Resource Institute offer businesses uh, to help them in their commitment?
1: The World Resources Institute, WRI, uh, where I'm based uh, in my GSG protocol role, has a long history, as some of you may know, of supporting business and uh, a range of uh, applications, including inventory support, inventory guidance, inventory standards, as we provide in the GSG protocol. Uh, this was one of the first initiatives uh, that we convened along with WBCST in 1998. Uh, This initiative initially focused on corporate accounting and reporting. Its foundation was in some of the very fine work done by some leading companies, including uh, BP and uh, General Motors. uh, That was noticed, and it was also understood that uh, there is a tremendous need going to arise in the near future for companies to have a standardized approach on GHG accounting. And so this was one of the first uh, initiatives that, was launched, focused on business, supporting business by WRNWBCST in 1998. Uh, We, the the first edition of the standard was published in 2001. And then soon after, there were some additional uh, opportunities and needs felt to, to revise that standard. And we published the revised edition of the corporate accounting and reporting standard in 2004. And as we all know, that has become the global standard. It's been there for now, almost 20 years and it's been rock solid. And uh, I'll, I'll perhaps uh, speak to some of the important learnings we have seen in the last 20 years later in our discussion. But one other initiative I want to mention before I close is the science-based target setting initiative. Uh, WRI also played a key role in the launch of the SBTI. Actually, uh, not many perhaps know that uh, SBTI as an initiative also emerged in the GHG protocol Uh, After we had done our uh, scope three standard, uh, one of the next things that we identified was helping companies, providing them guidance on goal setting. And so it started as a goal setting guidance process and team in the GHG protocol. But over a period of time, as we convened also with CDP, WWF, and a few other partners, it was separated from the GHG protocol, and it was launched as a science-based target setting initiative. And so to sum mm-hmm. it up, these are the two areas where WRI is uh, providing leadership and support to.
2: Very early, uh, we started uh, engaging and, and engaging around actually the greenhouse gas protocol and working with WRI actually for four years alongside WBCSD. And as soon as the SBTI um, corporate standards were out, we were actually quite excited to also issue uh, verified uh, targets. So as I've mentioned in my short introduction, we have those two, uh, one short-term 2030 with the minus 46% uh, of our absolute one, two and three emissions, and the same goes now with a net zero 2050 verified target across uh, the value chain. Again, I think WRI brings that science-based approach, which for companies, for the private sector is very useful and you get what you measure uh, and you get what you target. Uh, and that's why it's very comfortable, even if it's very challenging to set targets and to achieve positive results. But it's fantastic to have that guidelines for, for, for companies like Tetra.
0: So today we have with us two very good uh, experts on experience. Uh, those are early uh, movers, and uh, with both science-based targets and also measurement methods. But uh, uh, let us go into more little bit of detail. So, and and I don't think all our listeners know exactly more what is the greenhouse gas protocol and what are the three scopes that we always coming back to and discuss. Pankaj, can you give a little bit of an insight in in what the greenhouse gas protocol and the three scopes are?
1: Thank you. Yes, so very well. Um, first of all, I remember, Gail, you mentioned the early history in 1999, so it definitely brings back some memories. So uh, it's really so good to be back with uh, some of us who have been working in this field for so long. Um, so the greenhouse gas protocol, I mean, if, if I were to explain to um, common audience, uh, you know, uh, trying to avoid some uh, technical jargon, the greenhouse gas protocol corporate accounting standard is basically a measurement and and, and reporting standard, or, or one might say it provides some rules on how companies should account for their emissions and how should they report, what should they disclose. It was designed with a few objectives, rather multiple objectives, to help companies manage their GHG risks and identify reduction opportunities, not just in what will be traditionally seen as direct emissions, emissions that occur from within the boundary of a factory from a smokestack, but beyond that also, from the products that they purchase and, and, and sell, from their downstream activities, from their upstream activities. So having a very comprehensive view. Second objective is public reporting. Uh, we think that uh, in particularly in the voluntary context, in, in the absence of regulation, public reporting and transparency becomes an important objective. In itself, it becomes an accountability mechanism. And it also, disclosure begins to move companies, help them, incentivize them towards making improvements also. The third objective was to support participation in in trading programs and and regulatory programs. Now, with all these objectives, uh, there was a built-in structural flexibility in the GIG protocol. It was structured into three scopes. Uh, scope 1, which is a terminology used for direct emissions, emissions that are controlled by companies, sources that they control and own. Those are scope 1 emissions. Scope 2 emissions are emissions from the use of purchased electricity, purchased energy. Uh, production of energy occurs elsewhere, uh, but companies that are using it, they also have a responsibility in making sure, either by re- placing the type of uh, fuel being used for production of electricity or reducing the use of electricity. So scope two two was coined to capture emissions from use of energy. And then scope three is where we have the biggest number of categories, 15 categories overall. And scope three was designed to enable companies to identify their risks and opportunities across their value chain, across upstream sources and downstream sources. And overall, the system has been designed in such a way that different types of applications can be built upon it. So for example, a trading program might only use scope one part of inventories to avoid double counting. But science based target setting initiative is using scope one and scope two as well as part of scope three, almost 50% of scope three, for companies to set their net zero goals. We have recently seen some newer applications, where, which is called bookkeeping applications. So they are kind of representing GHG accounting into financial accounting, and they want to avoid double counting. So they may use scope one, scope two, and only the upstream categories of scope three. So this is a kind of a flexibility built into the GAG protocol to enable different applications, but at the same time, ensure that the, the public reporting is done for all three scopes. That is the fundamental foundation that public reporting is done for all three scopes, but these additional applications can slice and dice the inventory for specific objectives.
0: Else, uh, when you're talking about the implementation of the, the Greenhouse Gas Protocol, how has it been working? Have you any complete uh, sort of uh, greenhouse gas inventory or screening of the scope 1, 2 and 3 emissions? And how big is your footprint? Scope 3 is the big,
2: big, big elephant in the room in in many of the discussions around greenhouse gas reporting. Um, As I've mentioned, we started very early to look into our Scope 1 and 2, and and as of twenty twenty ten, actually, so at the same times where we were, in a way, publishing the the Scope 3 uh, standard, Tetra Pak started to take some commitments on what was defined at the time as our scope 3. And since then, we are, of course, following the the real definition as per the greenhouse gas protocol. Actually, we have a greenhouse gas inventory in place since 2010. Since 2013, we have a third party bad audits, uh, our scope 1, scope 2, and scope 3 performance. And based on bad auditing, we have started to take external commitment, as I've mentioned, mentioned, Uh, under the uh, SBTI, Science-Based Target Initiative, uh, corporate uh, standards. And for Tetra Pak, it is critical for one simple reason. Actually, if I look back in in 2010 already, Scope 3 represented back at the time 90% of our footprint. Since 2010, we have reduced by over 20% the total emissions of Tetra Pak, which is uh, actually quite big, especially if you consider that we have grown our business. But we have put lots of efforts into our scope one and two, and now scope one and two, and actually, if I include our travel, which technically is scope three, but never mind, it's what we call our operations. Scope one, two, and travel at Tetra Pak accounts for one percent of our total emissions. So once I said this, scope three equals ninety nine percent, and we have actually a lot of leverage on this scope three. So often I hear scope three equals Beyond the walls you can't control. The facto, scope 3 is linked to what you buy, how you transport what you buy and what you sell. So a company can control this. We can make actually decision and we can influence our value chain. And I think that's, that's quite important to know that not only Tetra Pak has targets on its scope 3, we are actually de facto have been able to reduce our scope 3 footprint. How? Because we have engaged our suppliers into that journey. So we are pushing our suppliers to their Verscope 3, to have SBTI targets. So we have now two suppliers that have uh, obtained approval for their SBTI target in 2022, totaling actually a total of seven suppliers now with uh, uh, SBTI targets. It might sound little, but actually... Uh, only 40% of our suppliers equals 99% of our purchase uh, uh, impact. (laughs) So by focusing on those 40 ones and asking them to report to to SBTI, to have a scope-free target, we are enabling upstream to reduce our total footprint. And if I look at the downstream part of of our impact, the downstream part, which is linked to our product in use, this is pretty much equals to 60% of... uh, Cetrapax total footprint, okay? Many figures, sorry for that, but we have pretty much 35, 36% upstream. 1% is our operation, what we call scope one and two. Uh, And then you have the rest downstream, which is 60, 65. And this is linked to our product. And here we are making a revolution on how we design what we sell to our customers because our scope three downstream is also the scope three of our customers, sometimes the scope one and two of our customers. So it's all about this ecosystem that we have to work for. And and at Tetra Pak, we, uh, again, are using the greenhouse gas protocol as a guide, the targets that we have with SBTI also uh, as a compass. And we are making sure that our partners in the value chain are embarked with us. And I can say it's very useful and fruitful when companies like Tetra Pak are, are leading uh, the climate transformation.
0: I, I do understand that uh, this is a question about scope 3 is a crucial mm. issue when you talk about your external work and when we talk about the suppliers and Maybe also a relationship to procurement and, and also the stakeholders' engagement. And, uh, uh, but it's also a question of uh, the internal work and how to implement this type of guidelines for how to measure emissions. If you look at the internal process in, in TetherPack, has uh, the employees uh, accept uh, to, to report on this type of issue? The internal work with the, uh, with the three scopes.
2: Yeah, I I think step one has been and is still about getting our people excited and committed behind what has become a purpose for Tetra Pak, right? So our our motto is protect what's good. If we don't protect the planet, then we will have failed. And I must say that our work around climate and actually now our work around nature is getting and keeping our people committed and excited so purpose is important uh, so uh, because indeed the work of reporting might be seen as cumbersome we have been working on reporting now for 20 years at the beginning we developed our own tool and now for more, more than 15 years actually we have been using third party uh, tool to help us to report not only about our scope ones Uh, and scope two uh, data, so energy, electricity use, but also report about the scope three impact, which is about getting our data from our suppliers and getting the data linked to the product we sell. Again, once we've said that, it means that procurement has to be involved in that journey because we need to ensure that our suppliers do provide the right information and we need to get the uh, product business unit, solution business unit in our workage, It's about packaging, it's about processing business, it's about services. We need to make sure that we also have the data uh, from a product point of view. So getting people excited, purpose, getting the right tool is important. Getting the value chain, especially the upstream part, excited, it's important. And because we were lacking of actually the proper data set, we also had to get our suppliers into that journey around the purpose. And three years ago, two and a half years ago, actually we've launched an initiative called Join Us in Protecting the Planet, where we are gathering our top suppliers, the 40 that I've mentioned, which represent 99% of the supplier's impact. And that's where we are designing objectives together. It's it's a sharing platform like WBCSD can be, by the way, but a, at our scope of Tetra Pak. And that's where we said, okay, let's get everybody on board with SBTI, Science Based Target Initiative, Verified Target, Uh, let's get the reporting in place. And since we started that program, we've seen an increase in the quality of the reporting, we've seen an increase in the ambition from all our suppliers, which makes it that we are now way more confident on our ability to reduce our footprint across the value chain. Uh, at the end of the day, companies are, are built with humans, so we need to get this change management in place. Again, purpose and tool very important.
0: Pankaj, uh, how do you see uh, Tetra Pak's work in, in this field? And if you reflect on other businesses who are involved in WRI's work, uh, um, do you recognize uh, the progress in the work they do?
1: Yes, indeed. Uh, I think Tetra Pak work is, is amazing. Uh, Uh, I was just hearing uh, what Gales was outlining, Uh, I think both from the perspective of uh, how the emissions break down, 30 to 35% upstream, uh, one, 2% uh, direct, and about 60, 65% downstream. And so clearly I think Tetra Pak has uh, seen and seized an opportunity here uh, using scope three as a very strategic scope I think it is central to their managing their uh, business risks and opportunities in the climate constrained world. And so I think uh, in that sense, uh, their work is very impressive, very thoughtful, and is definitely going to result in long-term impacts, not just in terms of achieving the SBTI goals, but also achieving the kind of business growth that will be successful in the coming decades. I was also very happy to hear what Gail's was explaining, the engagement uh, with the employees. Um, that is sometimes uh, initially at least uh, a tough part. Um, I think uh, there are many departments, uh, uh, representatives who need to be engaged internally. Uh, uh, the procurement, energy, manufacturing, marketing, research, development, product design, <laughs> logistics, accounting, almost everybody. I think has, it becomes relevant here and you need an internal strategy and in in a way it becomes an internal engagement tool also i think it it can be very inspirational for employees to see how their company is providing a tremendous leadership and they are part of that journey i've seen recently uh, one other additional new trend where uh, as since the adoption of gsg protocol and, and and the requirements that are emerging in regulatory programs SEC was the first one, it is still in a draft rule making phase. Uh, California has come up with a rule in European Union also in many other countries. And so what I'm seeing is also an interest from uh, within companies, the financial accountants. And uh, I think uh, that's where that it's a good development. because if. GHG Accounting can find its way into financial accounting, financial statements, Uh, that's a a very effective way of making the GHG accounts even more central to the the financial management within the company. Fortunately, the GHG Protocol Inventory Framework enables that uh, very effectively, Uh, as as I was saying earlier, it is designed and structured into these modules scope one, scope two, and scope three. Scope three also upstream and downstream. All the categories are separated. And as much as I understand for representing them in the financial accounting, you need to avoid double counting. And you need to make sure that you are using primary data and the GHG inventory structure enables that. uh, You can just use scope one, scope two, and selected categories of scope three for the GHG balancing or GHG bookkeeping uh, purposes at the same time it is very important to also keep an eye on the full scope 3 management because many risks and opportunities are beyond what you might be able to represent in your conventional ghg protocol balance sheet Okay, mm. you were also asking me mm. how we are seeing um, other companies uh, and, and their progress um, i think there has been a tremendous progress in that respect also we observe that from the thousands of companies that are reporting to reporting platforms such as CDP and also participating in SBTI with scope three emission reporting. We know that more than 1100 companies have now approved SBTI targets and, and they have submitted a full scope three inventory. What we are seeing is that since uh, 2003, uh, the, there has been a consistent increase in companies reporting scope three. So there's been between 2003 and now uh, nine times increase in the reporting of scope three. We've seen uh, also since t- 2011, actually that rate has increased quite a bit. And we expect now the, the rate of growth of uh, reporting of scope three will be more than 10 times up to 2032. And so overall, it's a very impressive growth. And uh, we are also looking into providing additional guidance and support through the updates process that is being planned to enable and facilitate uh, the implementation of Scope 3 more widely beyond developed countries, but also going into countries like China, India, Indonesia.
0: Many different uh, type of areas that we're going into here, but let's keep us into the Scope 3 for a while. Yeah. And actually, I will get into the
2: the technicalities, but I just would like to build on uh, one point I said about managing scope 3 is about managing your risks and opportunities as a company. Um, Because again, a company is built on a value chain. And in most of the industry, maybe at the exception of oil and gas, your scope 3 will be way beyond 50% of your impact. Uh, and if you don't, has a company, have a proper risk management in place and actually opportunities screening and scenario building in place, then actually your financial performance will be at some point hit, right? So we do see actually our climate work at Tetra as a super good proxy and actually tool to uh, maximize our short, mid, long term uh, profit and relevance on the market. And that has been super well understood by the top management at our company. Uh, and again, we are using our climate strategy into our product development. And, and that also means therefore working with upstream, the suppliers, finding the, the, the right one, working with them, in improving uh, the way they produce for us. Because we need to, again, ensure that we have a livable uh, world. In 2030, in 2040, uh, and we do see the role of Tetra Pak uh, uh, around food as as critical. So once I've said again this important point about the uh, the engagement and and, and the risks uh, and, and opportunities, as you said, um, if you look at the greenhouse gas reporting in itself, it is a technical uh, document which basically uh, lists many uh, criteria and, and, and activities that you have to uh, go through to be able to, to, uh, to report. Again, scope 3 is basically what you buy upstream, but also the impact of your product in use. Every industry, you basically have or might have different rules. Um, Tetra Pak works with, for and around uh, food, and there are actually ongoing discussion with WRI around food land and agriculture and how we should account for the impact or positive impact related to growing food basically or growing uh, uh, trees so all this has to be factored in uh, the way we do the, 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 the reporting i would say thank god now you have lots of external suppliers that help us to get the data from our suppliers and then audit the quality of the data that that we are getting because indeed let's be honest it's a big work but if we want to have proper climate reporting and therefore proper actions in place uh, we have to get to uh, the level of details that uh, uh, the greenhouse gas uh, uh, reporting uh, uh, is all about
0: Yes. Can, can you give some example of how you work with the suppliers?
1: Well, so
2: again, Tetra Pak has, let's say, mostly four main types of suppliers. When I look at m- our packaging business, it's uh, paperboard we buy, it's the aluminum that we can buy, it's the polymers, so the plastic that we can buy. And if I look at my equipment processing business, it's mostly stainless steel. So each of uh, those four areas have their own uh, challenge. Aluminium is a lot about, uh, well, it's bauxite mining, and then you have uh, the transformation in regions like Europe or, or, or China. But it is quite uh, vertical as a, a business. Uh, if you look at uh, paperboard, uh, it is also eventually quite uh, uh, vertical with only a few uh, suppliers that we uh, work with. So I'd like just to uh, focus on aluminium and, and, and paperboard. So, what happens from a very simple process every year once a year but actually we will certainly accelerate the frequency of that we are asking our suppliers to report on our own reporting platform which we called uh, sophie which is about uh, well, sustainability uh, and financing uh, uh, reporting so our suppliers go on the platform and report data which is which is linked to what we buy so every suppliers Know how much we have sold of a certain type of product to us. Let's say we're getting a supplier A in China of aluminium that uh, uh, sells with us, uh, that sells to us, X tons of aluminium. It goes on the par- platform, reports the sales they make in quantity. Then we have an emission factors, which is based on the way they produce, the type of energy uh, they use. So that's also something that they report. Same thing would happen with the paper. So we have paper suppliers based in Sweden, as an example. They would report the quantity of the product they sell, emission factors related to uh, their production. And what happens is then my team, with uh, the support of another team, will actually uh, vet the quality uh, of the data. And that's what happens on the upstream peace with our suppliers it's very useful actually because we can also see the progress on a yearly basis right and that's what we have that's the reason why we have decided to launch as i've mentioned the join us in protecting the planet suppliers initiative because yes we saw progress pretty much minus 15 percent in the last uh, three years of the, the the emissions we are getting from the supply but we need to accelerate
0: when you listen to jails to in this and how they work with uh, Scope 3 and also the the suppliers, how do you see the the, the work with the Scope 3 and uh, what can we learn from tetrapak in this field?
1: I, I think one of the things that I would really like us to learn and if that can be maybe an input into the updates in the Scope 3 standard is uh, about the data collection part. It seems uh, you have uh, some success there. Um, and how do you ensure uh, over a period of time increasing quality and accuracy in data? Are you seeing some progress in getting more primary data collection? Uh, That I think is a very important next stage of the scope 3 improvements and that could be an important guidance for companies similar to you in the same sector even broadly speaking. I think we also want to understand uh, with respect to the various uh, scope 3 categories is there a need for better matrices or key performance indicators that can be associated with different categories to uh, reflect on the unique progress that a company is making particularly if suppose secondary data is used we one of the critiques of uh, scope 3 reporting has been in many cases companies uh, end up using secondary data and if they make progress uh, other companies also get the benefit of that progress who are using the secondary data and and so there is some dilution of the capturing of the real progress that a company is making thirdly i think we also are facing now this need and opportunity of uh, accounting for reductions within scope 3 So there is one is on, it is linked to my second point. There is one is uh, annual progress report, but sometimes it is not able to uh, capture the reductions that uh, are possible due to interventions companies make. Uh, Some have called it like an inset approach. Uh, We want to understand how Tetra Pak accounts for its interventions, its reductions, and are there lessons in that? respect that we can bring to the scope three process yeah so i will mention these three points okay any comments uh jails yeah i mean
2: again it's a it's a team sport um many countries slash regions in the world are pushing for proper ESG reporting overall, which starts with climate reporting, it is true in Europe with the CSRD, Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive. We are seeing similar type of initiatives in China, in in, in Japan, as another example. And why do I mention this? Because actually the level of uh, reporting and quality and depth of reporting will increase from all companies, and that's where the greenhouse gas reporting. It's great because it is the standard that uh, the companies are going to use, which means that from a data perspective, the accessibility of the data, interoperability of the data will also increase. So, of course, we do see even at Tetra Pack in some areas, uh, not the level of quality of data that we would like to have. It might typically be the case on our, our polymers, plastic data today, uh, and we are mitigating that risk. But tomorrow, because all companies will have to report, we know that this will be the little holes that we have in our racket, this will be fixed. So I think we also have to trust the process. Start by scope one and two, that's for sure, but as soon as possible, get it to scope three, even if the data is not perfect. Because again, scope three is where most of your impacts are, and uh, the experience shows that, again, our suppliers are excited. Uh, because they also have to take mitigation action in their in their supply and value chain, and they do see partners like Tetra Pak as a good uh, carrot and not a stick kind of a uh, of, uh, approach. Uh, so again, team sport, trust the process, and start getting your 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 scope free reporting in place, even if it means getting a uh, uh, proxy secondary data to start with.
0: Well, uh, Pankaj, is it any updates or reviews of the guidelines for scope 3 on the way? Yes,
1: yes, it is. And uh, we are now in the final stages of summarizing the feedback we have received, hundreds of comments and proposals we have received uh, under the JZ protocol feedback process on scope 3. Also on scope 1 and 2, But um, we have released the scope 2 summaries and we are finalizing the scope 3 summary. We'll be releasing it uh, there have been some highlights in, in in the feedback we received i think that generally speaking the scope 3 framework has been found to be robust and uh, f- we didn't find any new categories that we were missing 15 categories were so- f- proven to be complete so no major categories missing uh, the feedback has been to provide even more ring fencing depending on different sectors what categories could be most material or relevant or also subcategories within categories to map them to again sectors, subsectors, so that the guidance can go deeper into giving specific instructions or rules on different sectors, subsectors, what categories and subcategories could be important for them. The, the feedback has also been to make similar to this one, the stricter, tighter requirements. Not all want to make scope three mandatory, uh, but large numbers of respondents have said that the trend is in that direction. Recently, ISSB has also made scope three mandatory in their standard, California has. Many companies, they are working to allocate more money towards decarbonization, uh, and they would like to do that in the scope three, uh, 15 categories. And so there is an interest in introducing market-based instruments to enable and incentivize that. Uh, And I spoke about uh, primary data already. Uh, There is also feedback on interoperability. Giles mentioned about that interoperability between many standards, frameworks and programs and databases. So it will enable uh, more accurate, faster, efficient implementation, improved calculation methods, improved and stronger performance matrices. I think also very strong interest in the category 15, finance emissions and to further improve it. And subcategories in the category of finance emissions has been a special
0: feedback, so. Uh, Great, Uh, and uh, more, when you you see the work uh, WRI is doing, and and how do you see their role to assist cooperation such as TETAPAC in in the path to Net Zero?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think WRI has has proven to be uh, highly valuable, not only with their work on on around the greenhouse gas uh, protocol, but all the technical advisory uh, expertise they are bringing to um, to 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 corporate and somehow actually we at Tetra Pak have have recently uh, decided to uh, increase our collaboration with wRI and, and we are working actually closely with them uh, not only around the greenhouse gas uh, uh, protocol but around how decarbonization in the food sector can accelerate, participating together to, uh, to uh, forums and conferences, especially actually in the Americas right now, which we know is, is uh, a region that needs to accelerate. So their scientific and technical expertise is, well, top-notch uh, in a way and recognized across by the private sector, by the public sector. So it, it makes WRI uh, kind of unavoidable uh, and very valuable partner uh, for us. Thank you
0: If we go to the final questions around a little bit of looking at the time to come and to the short-term and long-term challenges on the roadmap to 2030 and 2050. Measurement is a helping tool to reach target and to understand how you succeed in the work. And we have touched by a little bit of a role of data, digitalization, but we also have questions around design, innovation, procurement, supply chain, and networking models. Are we on the right track? Should we, Giselle, start with that, Gils? Are we on the right track? It's, it's a tricky question
2: because obviously, when we look at the overall performance, the overall level of emissions worldwide, we can't say we are on the right track. Uh, we are going faster than planned to uh, hit the 1.5 degrees versus a uh, pre industrial uh, uh, level, and that's not acceptable. This being said, uh, we see, uh, and Tetra Pak is a good example, actually, many corporate, uh, many private companies, and, and some countries taking the right decision, de facto decarbonizing their value chain. Again, Tetra Pak, uh, in the last uh, 13 years, it's above 20% of CO2 reduction across its value chain. So we are showing that it is working. As you've mentioned, I think collaboration, networking is critical because all our industries are interdependent. And therefore, if we don't manage to find the right collaboration model, incentive model between private and public company uh, sectors, uh, between the different type of industries, we will fail. So collaboration model means innovating together, means looking at the data and agreeing on the data uh, together. It means deploying the right solutions together. Uh, which might come with uh, with uh, price premium, and that's also where I think the the, the 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 public sector comes in. If you look at again key regulations in Europe, China, US. Um, in Europe, you have again, as I've mentioned, CSRD, but the the other phase of of CSRD is taxonomy, uh, which eventually will result into subsidizing what the EU believes is uh, sustainable as a business. In China, you have uh, CPCN, Chinese peak, uh, sorry, carbon peak, carbon neutral, where the Chinese government is also heavily subsidizing sustainable business. And in the US, you have the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act. So I'm mentioning this because governments are actually also uh, pushing for the transition. And companies like Tetra Pak, together with um uh, uh, advisors like WRI, we need to get ourselves into that large ecosystem, private companies alongside governments, definitely. Uh, Pankaj, uh, are we on
0: the right track? Yeah,
1: um, I perhaps uh, would have a mixed response. I think Kai, this is a very good question and we should actually be constantly checking with each other and broadly on this question. I, I think I may have seen a report just recently that the wave, the fossil fuel emissions growth is happening, we are not on right track. Uh, I I think when you look at it from the perspective of also the sectoral adoption, particularly of scope three, uh, we are on right track, at least I can imagine and see that from the trend right now in automotive sector and also to a large extent in financial sector, as we see uh, the transitions taking place, uh, they're more actively reporting scope three Uh, downstream categories that are applicable to them, they are not resisting largely participating and supporting. But I'm not seeing that kind of a participation engagement from the oil and gas sector. And scope 3, downstream category, um, if we were to analyze sectorally, uh, uh, the oil and gas sector category is one of the easiest ones to calculate. Normally, the pushback on scope 3 for most sectors is, or the concern is that like a retail sector walmart it's uh, very complex very difficult for them to quantify their scope three footprint Uh, there's so many thousands of products uh, thousands of suppliers uh, but in the case of oil and gas sector the fossil fuel products are a handful of them their emission factors are well known Uh, their um, consumption patterns and models can be established very easily they may already have that but why are they not embracing it? Why are they not quantifying it? This is this represents the biggest uh, source of emissions for them and as a whole uh, for the world. I think that in that sense, I feel uh, there is a need for greater public accountability and pressure uh, until the regulations come in place to keep keep up that pressure and for a demand that oil and gas sector also do their full scope three reporting and joint science-based target setting initiative. So that's uh, The reflection at a high level, I think in a very specific level, I see, we are seeing some positive movements for most companies, sustainability experts and leadership was involved in the planning and and managing of their carbon footprint. But now also financial accounting experts I see are getting involved, the academic research also moving in that direction, which is a very good sign. Uh, Again, I would also still caution that in that respect, uh, we should not lose sight on the full scope three reporting, value of the full scope three, because I think one concern I have with the way financial accounting experts might pick up is only a partial scope three, because their concern is about avoiding double counting, which I think in the case of constructing balance sheet may make sense, but we cannot also um, pursue scope 3 management that looks at the complete value chain and understand the complete scope of risk and opportunities and so there is still some work to be done in this respect but overall i see a lot of signs that present hope that world is going in the right direction through spti through adoption of gsd protocol by sec by california resources board and california authorities eu and many other countries also japan australia at least i know who are constructing rules on uh, full disclosure on scope one, scope two, and scope three emissions?
0: Oh, great, great, Pankaj, and, and I, I see, will say thank you to both of you uh, as expert in in this field of, of we've been looking into reporting and measurement and uh, uh, particularly the different types of tools you can use to reach overall target in the fight of climate change. Uh, it's not every day we're talking about this type of issue, but uh, it's a necessary part of uh, the work, uh, which have to be done in all types of businesses and and also in governments and, and, and other authorities. Thank you for uh, your contribution today in Transformers, Pankaj and Diels. Thank you, Kai. Thank you guys, thank you, Pankaj. I'm Kai Embren. Follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn, where I will be announcing the future guests to this podcast. And you can expect about two programs a month. And each guest has a unique story of making business and society sustainable. So find out more. Visit my homepage, kaiembren.org. Thank you for listening.